Welcome to Two Old Bulls. My name is Tom and I'm joined by my partner, Paul. Together we have 75 years of combined sales and management experience. On Two Old Bulls, Paul and I will interview a variety of guests from all types of backgrounds. Our goal is to entertain, inform, and help you grow in whatever you do. So welcome to Two Old Bulls. Now let's get started. Good morning. It's October 7th, and uh, normally I have my partner, Paul, as you know, all you listeners out there. Uh, unfortunately, Paul had a personal issue come up, and uh, he can't join me today, so I'm kind of uh, writing left-handed, and I'm a righty and kind of feels a little bit awkward not having Paul here with me. He's kind of my my guy that I turn to, and, and he's uh, an excellent human being. To, not to mention a uh, great business mind. And so uh, today may be a little bit different. It's unorthodox for me. But the good news is I've got a gentleman that is going to join me that probably is more passionate about business and life in general than I am. I've known this gentleman for 20 plus years, and he is, uh, as you're going to soon uh, find out, he is uh, full of energy, uh, probably the most energetic gentleman I have met, uh, maybe top three anyway, and uh, never a dull moment and uh, full of a lot of great ideas and passion. So this gentleman uh, was vice president Engineering View, he can correct me on this. Engineview North America. In his career, he made had did different titles from pizza maker to CEO, all different types of uh, uh, positions: technician, BDM, VPE, VP, etc. Uh, this gentleman uh, has a mission. He's driven, as I mentioned, in sales and building culture based on trust, innovation, hard work, and a desire to continuously improve every aspect of the business. He graduated degrees in robotics, electronics, received a certificate in finance and leadership. He's traveled four continents, solving problems, building relationships, and expanding markets. He's married with two children. Uh, so without further ado, uh, this gentleman's name is Chris Hanchett. Good morning, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Tom? It's an early morning at uh, Grand Lake. Just happens to be my birthday, and uh, I, I remember uh, listening to this radio guy one time, and he was celebrating birthdays, and he he said nobody really cares. Your birthday, along with 22 million other people around the world, you know. <laughs> so it just happens to be Tom Sanders' birthday, October 7th. I'm out of Grand Lake looking over a body of water, and it's early morning and uh, chilly. So it's kind of fallish. I'm sure uh, Dallas is similar, right? Yeah, it's crazy, man. I woke up this morning and, uh, well, funny thing is, I remember when we were scheduling this meeting and I'm like, you know, like, how about 10 a.m.? And you're like, how about 7 a.m.? And I'm like, oh. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's 56 degrees out right now. And um, I'm probably going to go for a run after this because it's just kind of awesome running weather. Yeah. I mean, you and I both talked about uh, 
everybody makes fun of is how skinny we are. It's like, you know, I, I'm not even trying. I'm just basically out bicycling like a maniac on my little bike that everybody makes fun of. But yeah, I, I hooked up with you out in uh, Vegas and uh, had a great chat. So let's dive into this. Uh, I know I've known you a long time and uh, you've got a lot going on. You always do. And, uh, you know, you and I, I you, you asked me the other day about where did we meet? And I'm like, you were like kind of fuzzy. And I'm like, no, I, I, Chris, I remember I was at a trade show and this guy comes in on two wheels and just high octane. And Hey, my name's Chris. Hey, I'm like, and all of a sudden, you know, and I'm pretty intense, but you may be more intense than me. And, uh, you know, you come into the booth and you're just, you're just going at, going at it. All these questions. I think you had an entourage with you and, uh, you know, it, it turned out to be, a great conversation but initially i remember thinking man that guy wow he, he's one of our oems that's going to be a lot of fun and so you worked with uh ken coling which you know i i know ken as well so kind of take us back and if, if you want to start before that i think he did some uh even more uh humble beginnings if you want to take us back i think the audience would be would love to hear your story yeah, no, man, that was, uh, yeah, I'm kind of like an all on kind of guy, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much, uh, I, I, I run and run and run until I fall, but, um, yeah, you know, it's kind of cool. The beginnings, you know, my uh, dad was a, uh, hourly factory worker in Peoria, Illinois at uh, Komatsu dresser. And my mom was a part-time school teacher. We grew up in the river Valley, believe it or not, I'm a Roman. There's a little town called Rome. That's just North of Peoria. Uh, a huge caterpillar town. Uh, I remember when uh, Cat went on uh, strike. My dad was—I was like the only guy that uh, you know had a job. Um, <laughs> but um, I ended up uh, going to college, uh, local community college. Started in electronics, and I remember being in there for a little while, and uh, found out if I stayed another year, I could get a second degree in robotics. So I ended up being the only kid in the robotics program, and the only person that didn't work at Caterpillar. And, um, it was cool. I was getting to play with all these high-tech robots and, um, you know, I spent about six hours extra a week in the lab just cause they'd let me. And, uh, you know, my whole idea was I was a shoe in man. I could uh, go right to work for cat. And, uh, I ended up finding out working with all these guys, the shit, they all hated their jobs, you know? And I thought to myself, man, you know, I, I want to, I want to love my job. I want to be passionate about what I want to do. And so um, I paid my way through college working at Chuck E. Cheese Pizza. And that's where I met my lovely wife. And uh, it was kind of interesting because here I am. I start out, I'm, you know, 335 an hour making pizzas. Eventually I got to move into the um, game room. And uh, so I'm working on the pinball machines and the ski ball and, um, you know, all those different things, video games. And at that time there was huge circuit boards and, you know, if something broke, uh, since I was going through all this electronic stuff and I had, you know, just grown up very hands-on, I'm, I'm doing board level repairs with an oscilloscope, fixing video games, doing all this cool stuff. And, uh, so I ended up graduating with these two degrees. Um, I think this is like 90 around 90 or something like that. I have to go back and look, but, um, the economy's in a recession, things are not going well. And, um, 
man, I'm, I'm applying all over the place, ready to go rule the world. And uh, I'm not getting any response and, or, or the response I'm getting, they're like, you know, you're a pizza guy. And, you know, here I am. I'm like, I should, I can fix anything on my car. I can, you know, fix anything on a machine. And uh, so I, I was basically a pizza guy. <laughs> so this kind of takes me to the local district manager there said, Hey, um, we've got this opening in Dayton, Ohio, and um, we need a manager out there. And uh, I'm making like $7 an hour at this point. And um, he says, we'll pay you 28,000 a year. And I'm like, shit, I'll go. I said, uh, I don't even know where Dayton, Ohio is. And uh, I'm like, well, let, let me ask my girlfriend, but I'll take it. <laughs> so we, we up and packed, moved to Dayton, Ohio. And um, it was kind of cool. It was interesting. You know, when you start starting your career and now you're in a position of leadership and, you know, the restaurant was down in sales, there was a bunch of problems and the games weren't working. And, you know, it was kind of interesting, just got in there and started fixing things and a couple bad apples that needed some coaching and maybe one replacing and kind of brought in some new people. And the next thing you know, restaurants rocking and, uh, you know, things are heading the right direction. But as you start looking around, you're noticing, you know, none of the managers are older. There's kind of no retirement plan here. And, you know, got to come up with another plan. So I end up going to Dallas, Texas with my wife on vacation. And uh, it was kind of cool. Uh, Love the place. I pretty much hadn't done much traveling. And um, I, I was just blown away. And I started looking through the one ads in the newspaper. And uh, the whole one ads, the newspaper in Dallas were bigger than the whole darn paper back in uh, Dayton, you know. And so I end, up, I end up seeing this little ad in there. It says electronics, robotics, experience training, and it's got a phone number. And so uh, I end up calling up this uh, number and talking my way into getting a job. I don't know if you ever met Dwayne Smith, but I ended up getting Dwayne Smith on the phone and, and he's like, oh, you know, we're just taking applications at the time. Well, anyway, I ended up talking my way into to getting a play, you know, an interview, met Ken Coling, man, I just knew I had met something. This guy was super special, man. He had a, a mission and I wanted to be part of this. And so we talked for a little bit and he's like, he says, you know, I, I can't, I can't risk re relocating anybody at the moment. So, so I leave and I'm kind of bummed. I'm talking to my father-in-law and he's like, oh my God, you want to move to Texas? He says, whatever you're making now, I'll pay you that and you can come work for me. So we went back, packed up and uh, put in my two weeks notice, moved to Texas. So that's kind of the initial start, but it's kind of funny. So then I'm working for my father-in-law starts out. Okay. But sometimes working in the family business is, you know, not the, the, the most ideal situation. And so I, um, I, you know, I, I start going over and knocking on uh, Ken's door again. I go over there six weeks straight. And finally on the sixth week, I said, you've either got to hire me or tell me to quit coming here. <laughs> so he offers me a $4,000 cut in pay, $24,000 a year. I'm desperate and I need to get out of this family business. And so I take it and man, it was the best cut and pay I ever took in my life. Uh, so started I, this. Yeah. I got to stop you for a second. Cause I mean, I'm just sitting there over, I'm flooded with questions. So I'm going to just, <laughs> cool. I'm going to hit the Chris Hanchett pause button for a second. So Chris, this is, you don't realize what you're saying to the audience. I mean, you, you're, you're hitting on stuff that you just take for granted because you're Chris Hanchett. So you had this motor, you have this motor inside of you. Where did that come from? I mean, nurture nature, mother, you know, 
father, all this stuff that you're telling me, you have this motor inside of you. Do you ever think about that? What, where did that come from? You know, it's an awesome question. And and I don't think it definitely didn't happen by accident. You know, my grandfather lived next door to us and he ran a uh, Phillips 66 gas station and uh, he could outwork anyone. Like when it snowed, he was shoveling snow while everybody else was, you know, wore out and, and done. Um, my dad was an hourly worker and he was a big saver. And so anytime he got the opportunity to work, um, extra time or on in at that time in the union, if you worked Sunday, you got double time. And my dad took about every Sunday that he could get. And, uh, you know, he was busy. My sister was five and a half years older than me. My mom ended up, um, you know, working and I, I was kind of joke around. I think my, my parents were done raising kids after my sister. So my sister was gone a lot. My, she was supposed to be kind of taking care of me. My dad was working second shift a bunch. My mom was kind of in and out doing different things, great parents, great family, all that stuff. But I ended up finding myself alone a lot. So I learned to cook. I learned to, um, you know, solve problems. I grew up on the river and, um, we would take the boat across the river and camp on the other side. And, you know, I mean, we just, I just ended up, we had rental property growing up. Uh, my dad started buying rental property and, you know, he refused to hire anything done. And so we learned to roof and, um, you know, fixed about anything, uh, refused to get our cars worked on. So like, you know, when my transmission went out, we went to the junkyard and, you know, got another one and, uh, you know, dropped a couple pans until we could find the least shavings in the pan. And, um, and then my mom always told me, you know, you can be anything you want to be. And, and I, I'm just kind of stuck in my head, you know? And so I, I kind of look at it as the American dream. It's a cool story. Um, I, I was going to figure it out, man. I just, uh, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to lose, you know, I think is, the yeah, you, thing. you, you, you grew up in a family culture is what you're telling me. And, and it rubbed off on you. And, and some of that is, uh, I don't know if we'll ever figure it out, nurture nature, but you definitely had peers and, and role models and, and everything else. And, and so it, it makes sense. So this, uh, Ken Coling uh impasse let's call it and then what the other thing i wanted to bring up to you is you kept you're persistent uh another great lesson for the audience i mean uh, persistence persistence you, you go back to any and this is my take you go back to anybody that has anything it's, it's interesting you listen and talk to people out there especially the younger kids they focus on the dollars and the money and the title. And you and I both know that that's just a joke. You have to focus on the work ethic and the the principles and the values to get you there. And what I'm seeing and hearing from you, here you have done everything. CEO, uh, four continents, manage hundreds of people, been responsible for millions of dollars, and you are slinging pizzas and doing all this stuff. This is the same guy and you're the same guy that went over and you six times went up to Ken Coling and kept tapping him on the shoulder. I mean, that's, that's where, that's what it takes. And, and a lot of people don't understand the basic principles. They want the title. They want to show up, look at me, put it on Instagram, whatever, LinkedIn. But if you really go back to the humble beginnings, and I've, I've had different people on this podcast, it's the same story. Uh, it's the same story, Scott Fish any of them that I've interviewed in, including yourself. So I'm impressed by that persistence. And so you went over there, Ken Coley, who, who now is uh, probably on a boat and, and, and we both know Ken very well. 
So, so go back to that. Now, son, you, you tell me about like your first day, your first week there, you're going in there, you finally got the job. Oh man, it was, it was like the wild west. You know, I'm like the seventh employee and, um, you know, he's got this kind of vision where he wants to, um, build a standard product at some point. So Ken really, really interesting background. He used to work for a company called Burger Lar and he, um, well, they were a German-based company and they were doing five-phase stepper motors. And so he was out, you know, trying to grow this market. And he met this guy, this brilliant guy called James Fillmore. James was uh, the motion control guy. And they kind of teamed up and they were doing some work for uh, Ingersoll Rand. So, you know, you know, the old Ingersoll Rand. So basically they were doing all the control systems for Ingersoll Rand for the water jets. And then they were also building some of the custom water jets for Ingersoll Rand. And so what ended up happening actually right before this, so Ken, um, the company Burger Lar and their great wisdom, they decide, hey, we're going to take all our salary um, salespeople and we are going to kick them over to 1099 salespeople. And so Ken's like, well, now shit that I, you know, work for myself, I'm going to go take on these projects that I've been turning down because people didn't want just the parts, they wanted a solution. And um, so this this was like a match made in heaven. You know, James is this brilliant scientist, probably one of the smartest people I ever met. Ken, he had a degree in marketing, but he had this incredible genius mind for like machine design and solving problems. And here I am thrown in the mix with these two guys. And uh, I mean, it just it was it couldn't it couldn't have been better. It was a match made in heaven. And so, um, you know, we start taking off and uh, we end up going to this show. Um, it was a sign making show. And we had built a couple little engraving machines. And um, so the the engraving machines, we never sold one of them. But we ended up meeting these guys, like one guy from Australia, one guy from Canada, whatever. And they had this idea that they wanted somebody to make this machine called the Multicam. And they kind of talked about it some and all this kind of stuff. And they went to Ken and they're like, hey, can you build this machine for us? And Ken's like, yeah, definitely, you know. And so he goes back and he spends the next year or beginning of the year designing up this stuff, getting everything and, you know, kind of being naive at the time. He gives them like detailed drawings, all this kind of stuff. And they come back to him and they say, yeah, you know what? We're, we're, we've decided not to do it. So Ken's like, well, heck, if you're not going to do it, let's let's do it. And so he goes ahead and makes a machine and actually gets a couple sold, shows up at the next ISA sign show. And um and there he is on the show floor and come to find out these other guys are, they have their own booth there too. They've got Ken's drawings and they're basically, they haven't built a machine yet. And they're like, all right, Hey, we're going to go, you know, sell this machine. And well, Ken's and so they get mad at Ken. They're like, you can't take our idea. And Ken's like, yeah, shit, man, you guys told me you weren't going to do it. So anyway, that was the birth of multi-cam is really funny. And um, so then it just took a crazy ride, man. We start growing at 20% a year for 20 years straight. I mean, I'm I'm flying to my very first trip. I hadn't been to Canada. I hadn't been to Mexico. I, I drop into Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I spend a week there. We have to learn all about the 380, 400, three phase because we're, you know, blowing up machines that are going in there. I, and uh, I go into Hong Kong and um, nobody speaks any English in Hong Kong at this time. This is like 1995. And, you know, I'm having to figure that out. And I ended up starting going to like six countries a year. And um, I mean, we took the company from a million to 50 million. It was, it was just this awesome, incredible ride. I mean, I, you know, and a lot, I met wonderful people like yourselves. And, you know, I think the big key, and, and I like to say this a lot is 
everybody that was involved felt like they belonged to the coolest club in the world. I mean, they were willing to go running into the burning building, you know, guys like uh, Bill Coberly and uh, Robert Bapristus. And we had international distributors. I mean, at one time, 50% of our business was going to, or not 50, um, 10% of our business was going to Russia, you know, um, you know, it was just, like I said, we were, we were just on a mission that couldn't be stopped. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, and, you know, what's cool about today and uh, the podcast, and, and I've had people tell me this, uh, people in your life, uh, your kids, your family, whoever, they don't even realize all the stuff you went through. It's funny how we go out and we do, we do what we do and, and, and it, it's, it's what we do. Right. And, and it, we do it for our own purpose and motivation, but many of the people in our lives don't even understand. They just, they see the person walk through the door at the end of the day and they're focused on dinner or sporting events or what have you. And I don't expect people to be detailed in your life because people have their own lives. Right. But what's interesting about this with your kids, grandkids, when you and I are dead a uh, hundred years from now, people can fire this up and listen to it. Yeah. That's my grandpa, you know, or who, whatever. Right. So this is the cool part. And uh, I think it's awesome. It's a little side benefit of doing this interview with you you're documenting this. I can feel it in your voice. Uh, you're still emotional about it. And uh, so you came from this environment. Now you kind of hit the jackpot. You're just going around like a crazy person. You're probably working 60, 80 hours a week because you're just, you're fired up. You've got, have you, are you married at this point? <laughs> well, I was lucky. So um, my son was born October, uh, 1999. And when my son was born, my wife, um, we had a big discussion about this, but she ended up becoming a full-time mom and it, it worked out wonderful. My, my daughter was born less than two years later. And, you know, like shortly after my son was born, my mom was here, her mom was here and I'm on a plane to Germany for two weeks, you know, and, um, you know, having the support that I had on this end, having my, my parents ended up moving down here locally. And so they were great support. She was by, um, you know, her father's side of the family and, you know, you, you know, behind, I would like to say behind any great man is a great woman or behind any great woman is a great man, you know? And, uh, you know, so it's one of those things where I had a great infrastructure here, but you're right about the work. It's really, I mean, I would go on the road and, I would install a machine and this is how the technology was developing. So cool is I'd install a machine and I would be at the customer's place and he'd be like, you know, this is cool, but why does this take three steps or here? Let me show you this on our other machine. You know, we can, we can do this. Why can't you do that? And so I'd go back to the hotel room and I would write up some code. I'd come back in the next morning, put it in and, and say, well, you know, because not only did I ask him, okay, great. Your other machine did this. Well, what would, what would make it even better? And what was great is the customers would tell you. And so then, you know, some of it was quick. I could do some of it. I'd kick it back to James and um, you know, he would go work on it and get it back. And so we were, we were evolving this technology on the fly, but I, I, I wasn't working, you know, it was funny because you look at the mission I was on, I was crusading. I was uh, on a mission, you know, I was rocking along. And so I didn't look at it as work, but that was part of the problem. I mean, I ended up, um, becoming so engulfed in it. I remember I was, I weigh 174 pounds this morning. That's what I weighed myself at my peak. I was 255 and, and I had let the job consume me so much that, um, I had given up on, 
you know, my, my wife had to remind me there was a family here and, and, uh, you know, I had to go ahead and take care of my, my weight and some other kind of things like that. So it's fascinating when you can golf like this, you need somebody to help keep you in check too. Yeah. It's a great lesson, right? I mean, you and I are wired very similar, uh, and, and for every strength, there's a weakness, right? I mean, you and I've read all the books and we know, <laughs> we know about this, right? So it's interesting what you're saying here. You have all this passion and drive and opportunity and you're, you're killing it and you lift your head up occasionally and you look around the room and you look in the mirror and you're 250, you got pizza boxes all around you. Your wife is like, whatever, uh, not happy with you and so now that we're older, you and I, and at least for myself, and you can talk about this, you don't have to relinquish your drive and passion, but you know what? You can take care of your health. You can take care of your kids. You can multitask. You can do things, do things that are integrated, but not give up on your dreams and passions. Talk about that a minute. Oh yeah. And actually right before I hit that, I want to, I want to hit one other thing because it, it has a lot to do with leadership, you know, and it's just in my mind right now, you know, we can, you know, Ken was a wonderful mentor. Um, James was a wonderful mentor, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I remember being young, a leader, just kind of starting to grow up and, and you remember Scott Mulis, you know, hired Scott Mulis, um, great guy. And he came to me one day and closed the door. And he said, one thing I've heard is you say, me too much and you don't say we enough. And I remember at the time it's like, oh man, you know, first, you know, that's kind of, you know, rotten of him. And then I thought I digested it for a second. I thought, wow, that's kind of awesome of him. And and so I remember one of the things along the way, you know, trying to build these teams and build these cultures is you could definitely be, you know, my original thought is you're only going to be mentor, mentored from people that you think is above you. But some of my best mentors were actually people that worked, you know, with me on the team and, and helped us grow. And so just kind of wanted to interject that because it was kind of on my mind there. No, but. no, it makes sense. And you had, you know, you just because you're successful doesn't mean that you didn't have weaknesses. And uh, yeah, I, I know that gentleman you brought up and it took a lot of courage for him you know, to do that because that could have backfired. But uh, it, it, fortunately you, you internalize that. And that's, that is a, a, a quality that even still today, uh, we, you know, you and I both run into situations where you're back on the airplane or you're back on your bike or whatever jogging and you realize, man, I, I didn't handle that. And so, you know, that transparency and self-reflection is very important. So Ken Coling, so I have a question. So here you are, you're young, he's paying you peanuts, you're working your tail off. At what, and this is just, I'm just curious, at what point did Ken say, I'm going to bump you up and take you to the next level? Was it like that? Or was it, did it just happen over time? That's a great question. It's kind of clawing your way to the top. I mean, we were always a, Ken was taking every, when you grow a company at the rate we were growing it, cash is a really problem. You're always running out of cash. And so Ken wasn't leaving this uh, glamorous lifestyle, anything like that. He was taking the money and he was reinvesting into equipment and the business. And, you know, we moved buildings five times and we did all this kind of stuff. And, you know, so along the way, I'm here I am, I'm writing letters to Ken and Linda. Linda was his wife and she'd worked in the business early on too. And I'm kind of explaining all the things that I'm doing for them. And I still have all of these letters. They're great. You know, you know, like early on, it's like, I learned to weld and I can, you know, run the lathe and the machining center. So when people didn't show up, I could make sure that we're still moving along. And, 
you know, I started out with the idea that I was going to run the tech support department, but I literally just, we were small. So you wore a lot of hats, you know? Um, but as we grew and I had seven people at some point in the support department, um, you know, you remember a, a very talented guy by the name of Tony McGrew. It was, I had kind of figured out my whole goal along the way was always to kind of train my replacement so that I could go take the next mission. And, we, um, I saw the opportunity to really grow sales and I kind of had this gift for gab and I kept trying to get myself into sales and Ken wanted me in support because I was solving so many problems for him. So finally in his great wisdom, he's like, well, you can take sales as long as you don't give up support, you know? Well, Tony was awesome, kind of my right-hand man. So I ended up uh, putting him in charge of support. I kind of jumped into sales and you know, I had different raises along the way. I ended up getting kind of a, you know, a, a profit sharing program that I had negotiated with him, these kind of things. But um, I remember being in sales and my first year in sales, I sell like $1.6 million and I'm not even on commission. And, but I'm, I'm just having so much fun winning and all this other kind of stuff. And then going into the next year, I kind of realized like some other people are talking to me and they're like, man, you must be getting like awesome commission checks. And I'm like thinking to myself, yeah, probably should be right. You know? So, <laughs> so anyway, I never really looked at my paycheck. It was kind of fascinating. You know, I ended up having a um, direct deposit, never really looked at my paycheck. I just made sure that um, I was always a habitual saver. I'd learned it from my dad and I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I was always saving and growing, but definitely once I got on better profit sharing, I got on a better commission plan, you know, it, it ended up just, you know, definitely kind of skyrocketing from there. But um and then when we, you know, we're kind of fast forward into this, but we, uh, this is kind of, this is a great story. So we're out on the boat. We go out on my boat and Ken and Linda are on the boat. Um, my wife and I and Jorge, um, who uh, was our Latin American sales guy, but he'd started in tech support and his wife, Miriam, we're all out on the boat and Ken brings along a bottle of wine. And um, I'm like, you know, kind of odd a lot of times because uh it's not easy to drink a bottle on a boat as you know it's more you know easier to out of cans and stuff and he opens up this bottle and he says i've decided to sell the company and i think you can run it <laughs> i'm like yeah give me a glass of that <laughs> so you, you can imagine what uh, that kind of starts the process of so what year was that oh man so we sold it in 90 eight the first or no 2008 the first time so it's a few years before that and so you know we're we're kind of back to that thing i was a do-it-yourself or ken was a do-it-yourselfer i mean he had remodeled his own house himself the whole nine yards uh and and so in our great wisdom because we were do-it-yourselfers we decide to go out and sell the company ourselves you know and so we're trying to figure out how to sell the company we spend i don't know probably a year screwing around to figure out we have no clue how to sell a company, you know? And so he ended up meeting these, um, I can't remember the name of the company, but it was some sort of broker and, uh, they help organize it and create a book. And, you know, we start having meetings and we go through this whole process and, uh, you know, eventually Ken's, you know, interviewing these different people. And, and what was cool about selling the company at that time is Ken was very passionate about finding a partner that would allow us to kind of continue the business on in the way he wanted to, to continue it on, you know, it was a financial partner. And so we ended up finding blue sage capital and um, you know, it ended up being a, a great, a great match. And so you talk about money too. So Ken had paid me 
a pretty substantial bonus to help him sell the company. And through all the negotiations and all this kind of stuff, and you get, you know, haircuts and beat up and all that. I remember going out to a dinner and um, one of the guys that was at the dinner with the uh, private equity group said, and, and the bank, they said, this was really impressive. He says, because through all those haircuts and everything that happened, Ken never cut your bonus. He, uh, he kept that. And he says, we, we usually see people get greedy on that standpoint and, you know, Ken, Ken did me right. And so I ended up keeping like one fifth of that bonus and I invested it back in the company. They met it up with uh, stock options and, um, and I had made really good money that year too. And unfortunately all that was like short-term capital gains. So my taxes were brutal that year. And I ended up, you know, basically using that bonus to probably pay taxes. But um, yeah, that was, that was kind of the start, but you know, another just great story about having the right mentor, you know, we, I learned that you don't lie, you know, you might not tell all the truth, but you don't lie and you do the right thing. If you say you're going to do it, you've got to do it, you know? And so uh, Ken definitely, that was a, that was a defining moment in my life. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, you don't lie. You don't, may, may not, maybe you don't tell the whole story, but you're not lying. And, 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 and I, my take on that is what's paramount more than anything is trust. Ken had to trust you when he wasn't around and he knew he could trust you. So when, when somebody tells the truth, sometimes it's painful, right? But the person on the other side is like, wow, that's crazy. He, you know, you, you, <laughs> that's that's bad, right? But what you're doing is filling up that reservoir of trust. So that's a great message right there. Okay, so I want to pivot on you a little bit. We can't talk for four hours today, so let's pivot. So here, here you have this. Let's talk about the non-compete and some of the stuff uh, I see in your notes, eight years, eight year, you were in an eight year and 29 day. You had it down <laughs> to the day. That's hilarious. And, uh, so talk about that. Cause I think now that's one of your recent, uh, when I talked to you out in Vegas, you brought this up. So let's, let's transition over to that. Yeah. So it was like, a, so it was this cool ride. You know, we, uh, we sold the company. I take over as CEO. I end up joining Vistage. Uh, you know, the, the, the group was real supportive, you know, learn to set up a board, learn to do all these different things, budgeting, all that fun stuff. We survive a nasty recession and, you know, grow the company back. And five years later, roughly, we sell the company again. And uh, what's interesting when you sell the company the next time is, you know, you're basically trying to get the best return for the shareholders, you know, and so it's going to go to the highest bidder. It doesn't really matter if they have the best vision for the company. It doesn't matter any of that kind of stuff. This is purely a financial transaction at this point. And, um, you know, and so I ended up keeping half the money and reinvesting the other half. And, um, and I'm negotiating these uh, contracts back and forth. And man, I'm, I'm pretty flat footed. I'm really naive on the contract side and the the costs are built, you know, they're, they're loading up and loading up and loading up. And the, the existing private equity firm or the one I was with basically said they'd pay for all the costs. And then as the costs start building up, they basically say, you're kind of on your own. And, you know, here I'm, you know, I was, I always like to say you could stick gold up or coal up my dad's ass and get out diamonds, you know? So I was kind of, you know, learned to be tight and I probably should have spent more money on it at the time. And I had good advice, but I didn't take it. But a long story short, because I was a shareholder in the company and nobody really would buy me out, I was stuck in a non-compete 
as long as the uh, the the owners had you know had the company be you know it was before it was sold, and so it was interesting. I ended up making it about a year with the new owners, and we didn't get along, and so they fired me, put their guy in there, and I was just devastated, man. I mean, it was like you know, somebody basically took your family and said that you no longer had visitation rights. And so I, you know, I wanted out, I wanted my money. It was real emotional to me and all that. And, you know, I think they pretty much knew that, um, I was somewhat valuable, I guess. And so they didn't want to buy me out. Nobody wanted to buy me out. I talked with lawyers and they're like, yeah, you might possibly have a case, but you know, they're worth over a billion dollars and they can totally outlast you in court. And so, uh, you know, fast forward, I felt sorry for myself for a while and, you know, eventually had to put my big boy pants back on and, um, you know, find another job. And I ended up, you know, it was probably one of the best things that happened to me because I ended up becoming far more well-rounded. Um, and they eventually sold the company and then here's the, here's the irony. So when they sell the company, they have what's called tag along, drag along rights. And so, you, whatever they sign up to, you sign up to too. And so they agreed to a two-year non-compete. And so at least there's finally light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train. And so my non-compete, you know, ends 29 days after uh, the the guy that sold Oren Swift, you know, he what he did eight years in the desert wine. So I beat him by 29 days. He probably got slightly more money than I did. But anyway, I finally got out of it. And I, you know, it was like this, even though i who knows what I'll do with my future. You know, I'm on a cool mission now here at InView. Um, it was just nice to finally have not something held over my head. You know, I think guys like you and I, we just want things to be right. And to me, none of that was right, you know, but I survived it. Yeah. So you, you've got all the success and you're emotional. You and Ken dug it out of the dirt. And I mean, I'm sitting here listening to you and it's like, I can't even imagine. It's like, you probably wanted to take somebody's head off. It's like, do you understand what we've done here? And you're trying to make it this uh, bean counting exercise and you're treating me like dirt, but probably now that you're older and wiser, you see the process and you just see it as business. I mean, if you were to go back now uh, and, and go back through that, of course, there's no dress rehearsal in life. You probably would be a little more, yeah, it makes sense. These guys are doing it for their own, uh, reason and and i've just got to be patient through the process what so let's talk about i know you have this uh, drive to write some books i i think this is part of your uh content is what you would tell people in those situations yeah i think that's that's the biggest wisdom that came out of all this is like you know a lot of what i'm really good at today i survived doing it wrong you know ken and i joke i mean we were we were we had built this incredible business because we have did it pretty much about every way wrong possible and survived it. And some of the best lessons you can learn are doing it wrong. This whole world of private equity is, is pretty private. You know, people don't know a lot about it. They don't understand a lot about it. I got to live it. Um, you know, vendors and partners I worked with, they sold to private equity firms. Stories are all pretty similar and how they're structured and all these different things. And so, you know, <laughs> I got this kind of fun, shocking title of a book I've been thinking about writing and it's, don't sell your company to private equity, you know, could get me on some talk shows, could, you know, at least get people interested. And, and the concept of the book is not necessarily don't sell your company to private equity, but if you sell it, you should know these things, you know, and, you know, contract negotiation, what things are going to happen, how to negotiate a non-compete, you know, for example, in my non-compete, 
regardless of being a shareholder or not, if I was terminated from the company, there should have been a clause that my non-compete ended, you know, within a year or two, depending on what the compensation was, et cetera. You know, that way it wasn't, it wasn't open-ended in my case, it was open-ended and just kept going, you know? And even if I, you know, can't get my shares out, you know, maybe there was a clause to get your shares out. It actually worked out in the end. I mean, they sold the company during the pandemic, got a great return on my money. And, you know, so that worked out good, but I think there's a number of cool lessons in there. And I started to kind of take some notes and I thought I'd maybe write some short LinkedIn stories first, but, uh, I'd also like to write, uh, you know, I want to go down and interview Ken Coling. I want to spend some time with uh, James Fillmore. We've all talked about this and that that story of multicam and, and how it started on the grassroots and, you know, built the relationships with vendors. Vendors trust us because we paid our bills. We did what we were going to say. You know, distribution trusted us because, you know, we did what we were going to say. We took care of them. You know, the employees that work with us, they they trusted us. They they believed in it. And I think there's this incredible story to tell. And I, I really want to write that. So there's kind of a couple books I think I want to I want to do and I'm pretty passionate about. And so, yeah, thanks for the question. Yeah, I mean, if you do the Ken Coling thing, I'm selfishly wanting to be a part of that. So just keep me in mind if that happens. I'd like to bring Ken on and maybe uh, both of you and or three or whoever, and let's have a discussion. I think that'd be a great follow up. As, as far as your book title, uh, I was sitting here thinking, "Don't sell to the devil." If you do, here's my input or what I mean, you know, because I I can understand uh, the private equity. I've been through this. Uh, you know me well. And I remember talking to uh, Dwayne Johnson one day, you know, Dwayne, and, and he, he's been through the ringer. He's getting getting ready to retire, by the way, and he's moving to Durango, Colorado. So anyway, I was talking to him and he looked at me. He said, Tommy goes, I, I say a lot of things. You're going to hear a lot of things, but write this one down. He said, private equity, all they care about is the money and the EBITDA. So don't ever forget if their lips are moving they're focused on their money. And uh, I don't think that's completely true across the board, but I think it's the principle and the thing you're bringing up is get good counsel, be smart about it. And probably that Chris 10 years ago or what have you would have maybe talked to an attorney and got some counsel there before you signed. Is that something you would suggest? Oh yeah. Well, actually it's even funny. I had one of the best attorneys. It'd be a little bit different. It would be listen to that attorney, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it, it, he, cause my thing I had told him at the time, ah, don't worry about that. I said, you know, if this all turns to crap, I'll just go and work in the family business again. And unfortunately I did go work in the family business again and it ended the way it ended the first time. So I want to, I want to pop one thing in that I think is super important when it comes to the healing side, because what ends up happening is, this happens to a lot of people, you know, you're in a job, you're in it for 20 years or whatever, and you're super passionate about it. And for some reason it changes, you know, they downsize you, they let you go or whatever. And it's not the end of the world. And you know what the big healing part was for me that I got lucky on is I knew this lady, HR lady, I've known her for a long time. And she invites me over to the uh, Jewish community center in Addison. And she is coaching this group of people that have gone through this trauma, you know, they work for HP or they work for whatever. And she's in there trying to help them get the resume set, how to interview and how to, you know, kind of help themselves move forward. And so she invites me to come over and speak. And I remember just being, 
real, you know, me passionate and, and, you know, people are asking these questions and I'm just like, yeah, this, this isn't fair. Life isn't fair. You know, you got to put your big boy pants on your big girl pants on and, you know, you've, you got to move forward. And so I remember this guy in there that she'd been working with and he refused to set up a LinkedIn uh, thing because he just said he didn't want to do it. And I'm like, I'm talking to him. I'm like, well, why don't you prove us wrong? Once you set up the LinkedIn thing, I'll help you get some connections going and all that. And if you don't find a job from it, then you can say, there, you're right. So sure enough, we get it going. Everything's great. He ends up finding this wonderful job. We've been a connection ever since. And for me, sitting down and helping these people get on their path was probably the biggest part of my healing. So, you know, there is there is life after something like this. And I'm a much better, more well-rounded person today because of it. But um that's that's what I would recommend is go help somebody else and it'll always help you. Yeah, it's interesting you're bringing this up. And we didn't have dress rehearsal on this, by the way, audience. Uh, Chris and I just sometimes wind up on the same wavelength. It's funny you're bringing all this up because, you know, the healing piece of it, the part about uh, getting back on your feet and then you were active in your uh, helping others. And, and with that, is, is what, what helped you. And I, and I've, I've actually heard this recently with, you know, people that are depressed or have emotional uh, trauma. The best thing you can do is, is be active and go actually serve. And they've done studies on it that if you go serve in that moment, and it's very difficult because you're down and out. Right. But if you go serve, it's, it, it works. It, it's the medicine you need. And then you, you just, you just told the audience about that. The other thing that I would say is resiliency in terms of what you did there. And I, I do this myself. Uh, one of my things is, you know, when I have adversity, whatever it is, I tell myself, you got this, you got this, you got this, Tom. I think about my own life and I haven't done a podcast with myself, but, uh, and th same with yourself. You go back and you look at your life. This is no big deal, right? Compared to what the stuff you've gone through. And so sometimes I think we forget all the things that we've done. And now we're on the other side and we realize, you know what? That sucked, but it really wasn't that big a deal. Cause I, I got back up on the, the horse and I, I collected myself. And the other thing I'll, and I'll stop talking here that I meant that I heard from you was play. And this is my, my thing, play the cards you're dealt. I'm sorry. You're bald. I'm sorry. You're short. I'm sorry. You, you know, you lost your dog and you, you know, your company went bankrupt and, and your car's broken down and you're riding a bicycle. That really stinks. Play the cards you're dealt and go forward. That's the other thing I heard from you. Oh yeah. No. And, and that's kind of how I've lived my life. It's the same thing with my kids and everything else is, you know, they'll run into a situation and you're, you know, I'll be like, yeah, we got to learn from this. You know, I mean, I think that's the big thing about when you get knocked down, um, you know, you've, you've just, you've just got to, there, there's no choice. You've got to get up. You've got to keep plowing forward. You know, you get health scares, you get, you know, different problems and, you know, it's like, all right, well, what are my options? I can crawl into a ball and feel sorry for myself, or I can get up and do something. And that's where exercise also has become pretty important for me. What I find is that when things are really building up for me or whatever, you know, I, I, I live a half mile from the gym 
I'll walk to the gym, I'll do a workout, I'll come back and man, I feel like I'm ready to rule the world again. Or I'll go for a run or I'll ride my bike or I'll go do something. And I think we have to learn these tools that that help us. And, you know, sometimes I'm really stressed in the day and I really feel like, man, I just want to quit. And so I'll, I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up and, you know, wow, tomorrow's a, a new day. And luckily I woke up again and, you know, I'm, I'm off to rule the world again. And, you know, so we, 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 we all have struggles. We all have challenges. They're all different we need to learn the tools that help us. And, you know, you and I talked a little bit about food, you know, we, we kind of, I, I went to Scott and versus this, this health thing we talked about is, you know, what I do today is I read a ton of labels. I try not to put too much junk in my body. I try not to drink too many of my calories. I try not to, you know, and what I've found since I made these changes is my mind's better because my body's better and I can solve problems better. And, you know, when I was on the road and I was traveling the world and I had an American express card, I'm like, you deserve to have this great meal and eat awful, you know, well, it's, I mean, it's wonderful eating, but it was bad for me. And what I changed my mindset is, is instead of deserving to feel good because you ate something, you just deserve to feel good all the time. And so what can you change about what everything in your life shock the system, man, what can you change so you can feel good all the time? And, you know, it's kind of, kind of the, the mindset I'm in now. Yeah, I, I can relate. And you and I've been through a lot. You and I were the two uh, folks. I remember back in the day we could, uh, you know, we could do some things that, uh, that would make you proud if you were into the drinking and the eating and everything else. And, uh, you know, I've gone through this myself. We've talked about it. And, um, you know, it's fascinating when I, when I look back over the years and think about that younger person and what was going on emotionally or with anxiety or stress or whatever the case may be, but you're spot on. And I, you know, my son and other people make fun of me and it's part of it because, you know, I get passionate like you do and I, I can't help myself. And I, I'm telling people about different things I've learned in nutrition and health and exercise, but you know what you're saying. And I totally agree. The stuff works, man. Stop pushing back on it. Kind of like this LinkedIn guy. Yeah. You can push back on it, but it works. And you know what I've looked at myself, you know, on the exercise side and the nutrition side and everything else, it all ties together and uh, you're spot on with the, how you feel. I mean, right now I'm 58, literally today, I'm pretty sure I could hang with a lot of 35 year olds. I mean, let's go. I mean, my son, he's younger. He'd kill me, even if he's, you know, hung over, but, um, you know, it's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I see what you've gone through and I, you start looking at people and it's like, where was the weight? You start looking at pictures and it's like, man, I was pretty fat. Yeah. <laughs> so, so pictures really tell a lot, don't they? Oh yeah. You know, I, it's funny with the you know, interview, I went over to Bulgaria and I'm meeting the people and they were, we were talking about the weight and there's like, there's no way you weigh that weighed that much. And then I showed them a picture and they're like, wow, yeah, you were pretty fat, weren't you? You know, and uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of funny, but um, yeah, yeah, I think you just gotta be, I think you've gotta be passionate. And I, the, one of the other things is we learned a lot of great lessons and how to become successful in business and applying those business skills back to your personal life, I think is important. I schedule things, you know, I set goals. Um, you know, we learned in business that 
people, they don't take small changes well. They go back to their old ways pretty quickly. And so everybody that I see that's struggling to lose weight or, you know, do something they're doing, I'm like, you can't do minor changes. You got to shock the system. You got to change everything because you'll form new habits in about six weeks. And then you'll really look forward to it. Like, I look forward to eating fish. You know, I like hummus. I like vegetables. You know, I, I never liked all this stuff before. Now I love it today and I look forward to eating it, you know? And so I live by the Mediterranean diet pretty much now. And I look forward to it, you know, but I didn't. It's before. pretty crazy. I mean, you're, it's like your carbon copy of me. I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I, and it's, it's funny when you get kind of get on the other side, you talk to people in the same uh, mindset, it's it's the same thing i love bicycling i love eating fresh organic vegetables i mean it, it people make fun of me you know but i don't care uh, so yeah you get on the other side and for me i studied it right I, I i was i was watching a couple hours of youtube nutritional videos i mean i got obsessive and i focused on the why why do i need to do this and why is it important to do this and, and i educated myself but anyway we, we don't want to go off of the grid here on nutrition so here we are chris uh here you are you've got this body of work you're still relatively young uh what what's going on with you nowadays i know you've got a job and you're looking at you know writing some books and all so what what do you think is going to happen the next five ten years of your life well, you know, what's, what's interesting when you go through all these different chapters and you've become CEO and, you know, I ended up helping some great business um, partners that I had grow their businesses in between. There were great stops along the way, but you, you know, you want your own mission, you know? So what I ended up finding is um, I've kind of fell in love working from home. Uh, I did a contract sales job for a little while and that was cool. And, I ended up finding this, this InView software. So it's a packaging and design software. I had to go learn a bunch about the packaging industry. I'm going back to trade shows again. I'm setting up distribution. I'm building partnerships. You know, my boss is eight time zones away in Bulgaria. She doesn't really care what I do as long as I keep building our name and growing the market. And, you know, eventually we'll have more people over here. And it's just kind of cool to be on a mission again. And yeah, you never know what the future is going to hold, but um, I, I love being on a great team. I love low bureaucracy. You know, I love leadership that enables people to be their best, but doesn't micromanage. Nothing will kill a great salesperson. Nothing will kill a great uh, leader by, you know, by being micromanaged. It's just brutal. It'll suck the life out of them. And so, you know, today nobody's micromanaging me. They're, they're setting me free. Um, I'm having a blast, you know, it's, it's a cool mission, but like I said, I'm 52 years old. I mean, you never know what the future holds. So this, this, this ride is fun. Um, luckily I'm in a really good financial position. I, I mean, I don't have go sit on the beach money yet, but, um, you know, if I downsize my life, I could, but you know, that's not who I am. You know, I, I, I like snowboarding and I like uh, traveling and I like people, but I'm, I also find myself maybe working too much again. But with that said, I'm not really working. I'm on a new mission. So it's kind of fun, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what the, the future holds. And I love staying connected to people like you, you know, when we ran into each other at the show, we hadn't talked for a while, but it was just like, it was just like it was yesterday, you know? And so that that's, that's why I like just being able to get out and network, um, these relationships to me are some of the most valuable things I have. Outstanding. I I'm with you and uh, friendships and, and looking back over the years and having somebody that you've been through the you know journey together 
the multicam years are always special to me and Ken Coley and some of the stuff that we went through together. And uh, it's crazy where I'm at as well. I, I can relate to many things that you're, you're bringing up. And uh, I mentioned to you earlier, this podcast is kind of an outlet for me. I, I don't know where it's going. I mean, I've, I've met people like Bill Clement and Jennifer Lloyd and, and others. And uh, that's, that's cool for me. Uh, don't make any money on this deal. It's just, it's just something I enjoy. So, Hey, Chris, I really have, I, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to be super easy for both of us because we've known each other so long and we're both so fired up about different topics. So I really do appreciate you carving out an early morning. Uh, and I want to have you back when you get some of these other projects done Say hello to Ken. I'd love to have him on Two Old Bulls. We'll see what happens there. But again, thank you for your time. And uh, I'm impressed now that I got a little more granular with you. I mean, I knew you'd done some things, but uh, it's impressive. And again, your kids need to listen to this, your family, your your people in your life that you've you've touched and uh, a whole nother level of uh, respect in terms of what I'm hearing in terms of your journey. So I do appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a great time. I've enjoyed it. Um, I can't wait to share it. I look forward to it. Well, if I don't uh, screw it up on the editing, it'll, it'll, it'll sound good. But as I mentioned before, that's not my strength. Uh, one of these days I'm going to find somebody that uh, wants to do this for me and I'll, I'll pay them a nickel and they can publish all this stuff and make my life easier. But Hey, thanks again. Hey, this has been another great, uh, edition of two old bulls. If you have comments or questions, uh, you can send it to the email, uh, old bulls at outlook.com old bulls at outlook.com. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.